When you need to spruce up the yard, you need to reach out to Steel. SteelUSA.com, SteelDealers.com. You spell it S-T-I-H-L. Uh, I love their products. Been telling you about their products for years. They're great, man. I got a garage full of them. And they can handle any job, large or small. The professionals use them. That's all you need to know. I told you recently I was out running. I forget what city I was in. And I came across some guys that were taking down limbs and, and you know blowing the limbs to the side and, and using multiple tools. And they were all steel product. S-T-I-H-L. There's more than 10,000 dealers around the country. Just go online to Steel USA, and you're going to be going through page after page of trimmers, blowers, lawnmowers, chainsaws, and uh, you know, you're going to buy yourself some nice birthday and Christmas presents, and you're going to have the best-looking yard in the neighborhood. Steel Products, S-T-I-H-L, SteelDealers.com, SteelUSA.com. Okay, so I, I tell you about Boyer's Coffee uh, on a regular basis because I love Boyer's Coffee. I start my day with Boyer's Coffee. When I'm at the ballpark, I have Boyer's Coffee. Just had one this afternoon as we uh, taped this uh, podcast. And then I got home and I realized I was starting to run low. So I got online and I ordered with little more than several clicks coffee to be delivered. I like the K-Cups. Delivered to my home and they'll be here within 48 hours. It's terrific. I went to my old standby, Rocky Mountain Thunder. I also ordered a couple of other specialty brands. Speaking of specialty brands, how about chocolate mousse, coconut cream, European dark, that's what I just ordered, um, Maroon Peak, Mount Albert. They're doing a tribute with uh, a whole new line of uh, coffees and a tribute to the uh, 14ers in Colorado. They're located up at 55th in Washington. They have a new state-of-the-art roastery up there because they had that fire back in 2020, and they've been cranking. They've been doing um, a marvelous job since 1965, and they have become experts at slowly roasting their beans in small matches that you need to do to have great success at high altitude. They have a consistently outstanding coffee. It's Boyer's Coffee. Go to boyerscoffee.com and go shopping like I just did. Boyerscoffee.com. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, former NFL quarterback, USC standout, and current college football commentator for ESPN, Tom Ramsey, talks with Drew about the Nathaniel Hackett debacle on Monday night. The NFL is a quarterback league. At the end of every game I've ever been a part of or watched or or commentated on, you want the quarterback in control at the end of a game. And Drew may also have an opinion on the choice to bring Russell Wilson off the field on fourth and five. Let him write the damn script. Let him have the football fourth and five. That's why you're paying him. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts and please tell a friend. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. Comes down to this. Seahawks teammates calling for noise. Snap placement. Kick on the way. It's got enough. It is no good. McManus wide left from 64 with 15 seconds left. All right, folks, welcome into show number 167. And a lot of people are moving a little slower around the Mile High City and the region after the Monday night affair in Seattle. 
No one saw that coming. Seattle in rebuilding mode, all the storylines, Russell Wilson going back there, and naturally, after a very physical football game that had a little bit of seemingly everything, it came down to one play that will be talked about for a long time, potentially. You hope it kind of fades into the ether because the Broncos rebound and have a very successful season, which, by the way, I believe they will. But we have to talk about what transpired or didn't transpire late last night. And I taped this, obviously, on Tuesday from Chicago as the Rockies are getting ready to take on the White Sox a little later today. A couple games against the White Sox, another day off Thursday, and then they'll uh, move on and play the Cubs at Wrigley. So they'll see the south side and the north side in Chicago. It's one week in Chicago off of Lake Michigan. Uh, Be a lot of fun. Uh, But back to football for a moment, and then we'll get uh, eventually to baseball. But it's football season, man. It's football season right now, and the Broncos opened up, and it was a physical game, as I mentioned, and it all comes down to a fourth and five situation. And I'm like you and Peyton Manning on the Manning cast. Everybody's going, call timeout, call timeout. You got three timeouts, call timeout. It's fourth and five, you're at the plus 46 yard line. It's going to be a long ass field goal. And we know what happened. Their plan was, according to Nathaniel Hackett, they preferred the option of kicking a 64 yard field goal with one of the best kickers in, in, in the league in McManus rather than go for it on fourth and five. If you are unaware of certain of the analytics or numbers that pertain to this decision, I will give you certain numbers. For instance, last year on fourth and five, a desperation down, fourth and five was converted in the NFL in 2021, 49% of the time, basically a 50-50 proposition. That's across the board. That's with, you know, mediocre quarterbacks, upper echelon quarterbacks, great quarterbacks. McManus, who has a huge leg in 60-yard attempts, he's got more than, maybe more than anybody in the history of the game, I don't know, because he has a big leg in the the Rockies. The Broncos play at altitude. He had seven attempts in his career. He was one of seven prior to missing really twice because they called timeout, and the first one was slightly wide left had the distance to his credit the next one was was virtually identical to the one that didn't count because seattle tried to ice him so that's that's some of the math on that decision the other big part of this is the human aspect you just paid russell wilson over 200 million dollars you know the the majority of it is guaranteed to be your guy it was the most celebrated, and it should have been, move in the offseason by any NFL team. Maybe the Deshaun Watson thing got a lot of play because they guaranteed him $230 million And you know the crap that uh, you know they've now attached themselves to in Cleveland. But in terms of excitement for one team, no organization made a more profound move than the Broncos in acquiring Russell Wilson to be their guy for the next, they hope, you know, half a dozen years to lead them to more Super Bowl victory opportunities. And add to it that 
he is returning to Seattle in his first game after a decade of excellence in Seattle. He's returning to Seattle. Let him write the damn script. Let him have the football fourth and five. That's why you're paying him. I was beyond mystified. I was like, what the frig are they doing? Could not believe it. Fourth and five is converted all the time. Let me also point out this. In that situation, defensively, it's not fourth and five in the in the middle of a game. You are also concerned if you're a DB on the ball going over your head and game being over. So, yeah, you, you're trying to protect, uh, protect the sticks and, and defend you know, the five yards they need. But even if they pick up the first down, you're still in a pretty good position because let's say they convert it and they get six yards, the Broncos do. It's still a long field goal. Yes, the Broncos have timeouts, which is another thing I'm going to get to here momentarily. So the defense, yeah, they're in a good position, but it's a little bit different than if it's fourth and five in the middle of the game. They don't want the ball going over their head. And you have a quarterback who's a two-way go still. He can run. He's still an excellent runner. He can put a ton of pressure on a defense. You'd rather have your kicker than the guy you just paid all that money who has returned to Seattle. The horrible decision. And and he'll he'll hopefully live to, you know, laugh about it one day talking about Nathaniel Hackett, but how he arrived at that decision. Now, if it's fourth and 15, totally get it. You know, we probably got a better chance trying to kick a 64-yard field goal. And his explanation of, well, that was our line. 46, we knew he was he, he could make it from 46. That, that was the, the outer edge of where we felt he could make it from based on his warm-up. That's great. You do that, you know, they do it in high school, they do it in college, they do it in the NFL, both directions, depending on conditions. You know, if it's indoors, it probably doesn't make a big difference. But, you know, wind conditions and such, hey, we can we can make it from 58 on in going to the south. We can make it from 51 on in going to the north. It's part of the calculations every coach has with his special teams coach, with his kicker, after visiting with his kicker based on how they warmed up. That's great. That's the outer edge. That doesn't mean, hey, we hit our goal. We got to the plus 46-yard line. Now we're going to kick the chip shot 64-yarder. Uh-uh. Again, fourth and 15? Yeah, probably. Not fourth and five. Not fourth and five. Russell Wilson did Nathaniel Hackett a big solid. I mean, a huge solid. After the game, didn't question it at all. Nope, I, I, I was 100% behind whatever Coach Hackett's decision was. You kidding me? Inside, he's like, what the fuck are we doing? You paid me all this money and you don't trust me to make a play here with this wonderful receiving core I have? But he couldn't do that because then you, after game one, you, you have friction, uh, you have a split locker room, you have all kinds of issues. He didn't do that. And and he was a wonderful actor in his post-game presser. And even his reactions, you know, in kind of mildly applauding the effort of 
McManus on the kick when it was no good. I mean, Russell Wilson's a, you know, a, a winner. He's a class guy. He's all the things that, that you know about him. But he did a big favor to Nathaniel Hackett in, and didn't intimate in any way displeasure with the decision. But as a competitor inside, he's seething. Absolutely seething. Has to be. You know, looking at the game from afar, we always focus on the last play. There were other plays. We know the two fumbles inside the one-yard line. I'm going to talk to Tom Ramsey about, you know, why teams don't go under center more frequently, you know, on the one-yard line and the two-yard line, certainly inside the one as the Broncos were on both of those fumbles. Nick Gordon, I I, I gave him a bit of a pass because he was fighting his ass off to try to get the football across the goal line. And to me, it was super close that, you know, he still kind of had it as he broke the plane. I, I, I thought, you know, you could probably give him a touchdown on that. Uh, the other one, evidently, was uh, you know one guy on the offensive line didn't hear that you know the check that he thought he heard a check to a to a pass and that that messed up the you know the whole play and, and that's why Williams fumbled but or, or part of the reason I shouldn't say it's why he fumbled. Anyhow, there were other plays. As I said, I thought it was a really physical game. I thought the Bronco defense came on. Uh, later, I thought Chubb was great. You know, anytime you produce a couple of sacks and the number of pressures he did, Geno Smith was outstanding. I mean, Geno Smith could not have played a better game. You're talking about throwing the ball perfectly, really the whole game. He was marvelous. Uh, the the Bronco defense, you know, made made some mistakes. But at the end of the day, you look at that offense. Uh, Russell Wilson threw for what 340. You you produced 440 yards of offense on the road, and I know Seattle's not great, but they played with great passion. There's a lot of upside to that offense. It's going to be much, much better than what we've witnessed the last few years. The Broncos will be okay. They'll move beyond this. I really believe that. They'll take care of business against Houston. But this was a shocker, and the decision was, uh, you know, was shocking as well. All right, um, staying in the NFL for a moment, we always do this, man, and, and part of it is the, the attention that the NFL gets with so many different media outlets, and, and, um, and everybody has an opinion. It's awesome. Uh, it, it's great. But we try to draw very rigid early conclusions based on week one outcomes. For instance, I still think Green Bay is going to be okay. See what happened to them last year. Now, I know they don't have Devontae Adams, but I'm not betting against an Aaron Rodgers uh, quarterback team. The Rams lost to a great team in Buffalo. I think the Rams are going to be okay. We think Buffalo is excellent. The Bengals, I still think, are going to be really good despite losing to the Steelers. And the Broncos will be okay. Oh, by the way, how about my Giants? How about my New York football Giants? They go to Tennessee. They were the one seed in the AFC last year, and they win at Tennessee. And Saquon Barkley looked like the Saquon Barkley when he came out of Penn State. He was unbelievable. Had to get that in. Excited about my Giants. To college football we go. Scott Frost, the era is over in Lincoln, Nebraska. Now, I don't want to be an historical revisionist and say, boy, yeah, I saw this one coming. Uh, They couldn't have made a better decision. The most obvious coaching choice in college football that I can think of 
in years and years was the University of Nebraska hiring Scott Frost, who was coming off an unbeaten season at Central Florida. Remember, they, they proclaimed themselves national champs? And Scott Frost was a tremendous player, won a national championship at Nebraska. He was coming back home. It was, it was the proverbial no-brainer. You didn't have to you know, hire some sort of um, college uh, coaching committee or research group to say, hey, here are your top 10 candidates. You didn't need any of that. There was one guy who was going to get that job. He deserved to get that job. It was an absolute no-brainer. And that was Scott Frost going to Nebraska. Why it failed miserably, I don't know. 15 and 31 is failing miserably. 5 and 22 in one score games is failing miserably. And they couldn't even wait three weeks to save $7.5 million. I heard it said on one of these shows uh, that... uh, Actually, it, it was uh, it, it was PTI, and I love that show. You know, I have great respect for Tony Kornheiser and Michael Wilbon. Listen to it religiously. I uh, love what they do for years and years. Uh, but Michael Wilbon, I think, characterized it as that you know Nebraska and and Trev Alberts, former teammate. Uh, you know, he's the AD now, but he's a former teammate of Scott Frost. You know, did him a favor. He, he said, "Hey, here's an extra seven and a half million dollars. We're going to fire you now, as opposed to waiting three weeks and saving the university seven and a half million dollars." He couldn't wait. It wasn't about doing Scott Frost. You know, it wasn't like Scott Frost wasn't going to be able to afford groceries next week if he didn't get the extra $7.5 million. He's made a lot of money um, already. They had to make that move. They had, there, there's unrest in Lincoln. It's the same story now for several years. I think, and I can make somewhat of an analogy between Nebraska and the University of Colorado, who got blown out, as I thought they would, uh, by Troy Calhoun's Air Force Falcons. 41-10 was, uh, was the final. The analogy is this. Stop living in the past. It is not the 90s or the, or the 70s or the 80s for Nebraska. They're not the same school that every year they were in the preseason top five, top ten at worst. They're not that school right now. They're not that football program. They're not Alabama. They're not Ohio State. They had an incredible run. Could they get back there? Perhaps. But right now, they ain't even close, clearly. So stop comparing everything you're doing right now like it's your birthright to be among the top five, and the next coach better get us to the top five. It's going to be a long process. And for Colorado... And I've done a number of their games. It's been a while, but but back in the early part of, you know, the 21st century, <laughs> there was always everything, you know, going back to 1990, going back to the 90s where, you know, they were a top five, top ten program, the national championship year in 90. Leave that alone, man. The kids you're recruiting now weren't born. They weren't even close to being born when you were a dominant and, and nationally recognized program. It's different now. Carl Durrell has his hands full. So that, that's the conclusion I draw. I think Colorado next week against a conventional team like the University of Minnesota will play better. I don't expect them to win up in, you know, up in Minneapolis, but they'll play better. I think. Playing, playing the Zoomies early in the season, 
trying to defend that offense, good luck. Good luck. And Troy Calhoun, he doesn't get enough credit for the, for the job he does year in and year out with Air Force football. Colorado State, I was shocked by that. I, I thought that they would beat Middle Tennessee State. Not that they can walk into any building, CU or CSU, and, and say, hey, yeah, we're, we're going to win this game. Even if they're playing a, uh, you know, an F, uh, you know, an FBS team or FCS team. It's not going to be automatic. They're not good enough. There's no question in my mind that Jay Norvell is the right guy. And I know there were some people, because there's just so much momentum up there and so much great enthusiasm at Fort Collins, they thought, hey, there probably some people thought they were going to go to the big house and beat Michigan, for goodness sake. This was a surprise, and it was a little bit of a surprise that they felt like they were flat in the first half because Jay Norvell is such an upbeat guy. He's a great motivator. Heck, you shouldn't have to be motivated when you're playing your first home game of the year. They came on in the second half. They still ended up losing by 15. Disappointing. Let's see how they grow from there. But it, but it also underscores, I think, how far a road they have. And it's not just as simple as we have 59 new players, which they do, and we have this charismatic and uh, highly successful coach now running the program. They will bear fruit, but it's going to take some time. That's my college football uh take for the week all right to baseball and uh what's most prominent on my mind in baseball right now aside from mike trout as we speak having hit a home run in seven straight games kind of like we're in chicago he's like the modern day ernie banks he he continues to be fabulously great on a team that is the opposite of that and he's joined by another guy who's crazy good and we haven't seen anything like him in Shohei Otani, but still the Angels don't win. Um, and, and, of course, Albert passed A-Rod, so I, I don't want to leave that out. Never thought he would get close to A-Rod, and now it looks like he's going to eclipse 700 home runs. It's really a, a remarkable, um, remarkable run by one of the game's greatest players, greatest hitters of all time in Albert Pujols. But I want to get to rule changes. Um Three prominent rule changes. I'm, I'm sure you've read about them, heard about them in baseball coming in 2023. Number one, a pitch clock. 20 seconds if there's a man on base. Um, 15 seconds if there's no one on base. I think it's great. I really do. Uh, some of these guys that take way too long in between pitches, you need to move the game along. That doesn't take away from the game it doesn't take away from strategy it's not going to take away from performance you may have to retrain certain people certainly a guy like Alex Colomay who works out of the bullpen for the Rockies he's going to have to learn to pick up the pace that's why spring training will be really important to these guys that typically were uh, really I don't want to say lethargic but um Took, took a great deal of time between pitches, walked around the mound. Uh, this will be better for the game. So I'm 100% behind that. And most people I've talked to inside the game, they're 100% behind it. No shifting. So no longer will you see three guys on the right side when Charlie Blackman comes up, when your favorite left-handed hitter comes up. There will not be three guys on the left side, there, or on the right side. There will not be a rover 
you know, 15, 20, 30 feet, depending on the foot speed of the guy from the left-hand side of the box, out into right field. And that one, there, there's a part of me that says a manager should have the right to deploy his defenders in any place that he desires. Right? We, we see Buddy Black, when the game's on the line, there's less than two outs in the winning run at third. It put five infielders in and go with two outfielders. And it's kind of cool. It's kind of different. And we've seen where the ball ends up going to you know, the, the fielder who's placed right up the middle. That's no longer allowed. I, I want to see more action. I want to see um, more offense. You know, the ball getting through the right side will increase you would think though at the minor league level the last couple of years it it hasn't been this huge disparity between what was happening um, before they outlawed the ship it's not like there was a skyrocket in in averages or skyrocket in runs scored we'll see how it plays out at the major league level I do think it adds to seeing the athleticism of the infielder and you also may have to make some decisions defensively rather than having the guy playing second base who doesn't have great range but is a slugger you may at times rethink that so we'll see how that plays out um, going forward I'm not it's not like I'm getting on a soapbox and and I'm against that I, I don't really have a large issue with it overall one of the things that I do have an issue with are the picks. So if you disengage the rubber twice as a relief pitcher, the third time, if you pick to first, that runner has to be out or he automatically gets second. I don't like that. First of all, you don't see a pitcher pick three times in a row very frequently. I don't think you're saving a lot of time, but you are giving a distinct advantage to the runner. If he can see the pitch clock and he knows that you can't pick anymore and now the pitch clock is is winding down, he has a chance to get a bigger jump. I don't think that rule change was necessary. I actually think with the bases being enlarged um, from 15 square inches to 18 square inches, the only place that was truly necessary for me was it first base you know that to help avoid some collisions at first base really on on you know flips with the pitcher covering on a ground ball to the first baseman but they're going to be you know three bags now that are 18 inches so that runner off of first and we know how close a lot of steel plays are four and a half inches closer that's significant will it encourage more teams to run i hope so because we've lost a stolen base in the game. I heard earlier where we're, we have the anniversary, I think today was the anniversary of Vince Coleman, I don't know how many years it's been now, probably 30 years ago, was the last guy to steal 100 bases, and Coleman did it in three straight years. Hasn't Nobody's come close since that time. I think we have more great athletes versatile athletes, speed athletes, strength athletes than the sport has ever had. Let's put them on display. The stolen base can be exciting. And hopefully, with the bases being four and a half inches closer, 
more teams will run. I think more teams will potentially look for the athletic guy and not just the big, strong guy who can hit it over the wall. So those are some uh, at least early thoughts on the rule changes in baseball. All right, let's segue back to football. Tom Ramsey is an old friend of mine. He's a good friend of mine. I've done a number of games with him, um, specifically uh, on ESPN Radio uh, over the years. He he still does uh, analysis on a lot of games for ESPN on television and on the radio side. Rams, if you remember, played in the NFL for about half a dozen years, primarily as a backup quarterback with New England, also with Indianapolis, played in the USFL. Um, for for a little bit was a tremendous quarterback at UCLA. He's in the UCLA Hall of Fame. He is in the uh, Rose Bowl Hall of Fame. He was an MVP of the Rose Bowl um, one year. He's a fun guy, and I thought nobody better than getting an old quarterback to kind of break down, an old smart quarterback too, to break down what took place, what we were talking about earlier, with the fourth and five where the Broncos elected to kick the 64-yard field goal as opposed to letting Russell Wilson um, go for it. So without further ado, the former Bruin quarterback, Colorado resident, ESPN analyst, and good guy, Tom Ramsey is our Ideal Home Loans interview of the week. Hi, Rams. Um, Most importantly, before we talk about the Broncos and before we talk about Wax Poetic about UCLA and and the glory days, who was, prior to Tom Brady's days in New England, this is a trivia question, who was the last quarterback to wear number 12 in New England prior to Brady? Seems simple to me. Yeah, seems simple to me once I read it. (laughs) It's... Everyone has a fun fact in life, Drew. Yes. That happens to be mine. When did somebody alert you to that, or did you realize it years ago? You, you know, I, I know someone brought it to my attention a couple years ago, and uh, pr- probably one of our stats nerds that we work around, and someone was like, hey, did you know that you know you you were number 12 and no one else has worn that number? And I'm like, well, that means my number is getting retired. <laughs> That's what that means. Yeah, your number is is retired, and I wonder if if Tom will be Tom Brady. Let me clarify. Jeez, um, yeah, if, if Tom Brady will be kind enough to um, to share the, the not only the dais but when it's put up there, where it just it'll it'll say like he, his name can go first, but Brady slash Ramsey. You know, it's going to be close. Drew, I have this feeling. I just, uh, I, he'll recognize the, you know, the great ones that wore it prior to him. Yeah, and I, and I think, well, listen, I think in fairness to you, he didn't, or you didn't have the same complimentary pieces that he had, right? I had a few. I had a few good ones, I got to say, but, uh, uh, and you might even remember this one because you're dated. Uh, the number 12 before I got there, was a guy named Matt Cavanaugh, and it was sure. so. I get into New England, 1984, and Matt Cavanaugh just so happened to be the guy who waved over the guy on prison furlough to scrape the snow away from John Smith's game-winning field goal. So 
when I get to New England, everyone's like, oh, man, that was great that you called that guy out there. And I go, yeah, that wasn't me. That was Matt Kavanaugh. <laughs> <laughs> it was, a good, it was a, good, uh, a good ride for sure. Yeah, actually, I always get confused because I, I knew it wasn't you that that called the guy out there. I thought it was you on prison work furlough. <laughs> Right. Knowing you as I do, I, I thought that that was perhaps really what you know. You said, you said this was going to be a nice, uh, a, a nice conversation. Yeah, well, you, you know me, and you know our relationship, so you know I threw that I threw that out the window. Hey, actually, I'm going to reference because you and I chatted earlier. One of your old teammates who could get it done in, in a big time way. Because I want to start with what occurred. Uh, last night and and really what didn't occur and we'll start at the very end of the game and uh, Hackett the new Broncos head coach now famously or infamously electing to try to kick a 64-yard field goal instead of going fourth and five with one of the best quarterbacks uh, in the NFL and I'll, I'll let you take it from here what was the first thing you told me about you know if you if you were playing back in the day what would have occurred well so the NFL, even though it stands for not for long, the NFL is a quarterback league. And at the end of every game I've ever been a part of or watched or, or commentated on, you want the quarterback in control at the end of a game. You, you really don't want to roll out your kicker unless you absolutely have to, you know, one second left on a clock, you have to get a 60-yard field goal. Well, yeah, you got to put your you got to put your guy out there now. But up until one second remains on the clock, your quarterback has the ball in his hands and he's trying to make plays, and that's never changed. And so, I don't know whether to call Coach Hackett, Coach Hackett, Nate, Nathaniel, but but anyway, I'll call him Coach Hackett for right now. I think he made a monumental mistake, and and you know, Drew, one ten left on the clock. Three timeouts. You're near. You're you're in scoring range. You should never lose. You just shouldn't lose that game with a guy who you got to believe is one of the best quarterbacks in the league. At least you're paying him as such. Yeah, and you know what I add to the equation is not only you're paying him. He's one of the highest paid players in the league. You just consummated the contract. You just consummated the deal to get him from Seattle. And oh, by the way, you're back in Seattle. Let him write that script, right? Let him write that script. Well, well, well. Here, here's what should have gone into the thinking. And this is this is a mind blowing statistic. Since the year 2000, okay, 22 seasons. Guess how many. 60-yard-plus field goals have been made since 2000? Uh, four, three? Two. Two of 29. So, so you're, you know, you're batting about 7%. And, and I know you're a, you're a statistics guy, Drew. So you, 7%, like, eh. Okay, so if I put the ball in Russ's hands, I'm probably going to be 50% or greater. I'd like to believe on on. Fourth down, you can ISO one of your best players. Let's let's say he's going to throw it to Jerry Judy. Give give Jerry Judy a choice route. If he gets man, he's running away from the defender. If he gets zone, he sits in between two defenders. If you stick the ball between the one and the zero. You got a first down. Oh, did I say you had three timeouts? So 
you could burn a timeout. You could run several running plays and get yourself to maybe the 30-yard line, maybe the 28, 25-yard line, call, call your last timeout, and how much time would be left on the clock? About three seconds, two seconds. McManus comes out, kicks a game-winning field goal. There you have it. That's how it should have gone. Yeah, and, and everything is about math these days and analytics, and you're absolutely right. Last year, fourth and five, because it's more of a desperation type of thing, fourth and five was converted 49% of the time, 49%. And as you yeah. said, there's been two 60-yard field goals in the last 22 years. I mean, that's crazy. And and then a lot of those probably attempts were right before the half where, okay, rather than throw a Hail Mary, we'll try the you know the old 62-yarder, see what – see what happens we have a kicker with a big leg um the the reference i said earlier one of your teammates is you said back in the day when you were with new england it would have been stanley morgan uh, on a on an option route correct that's right every time and, and, and you know what the defense knew it was coming that's that's the thing is everyone knows who's getting the ball and mind you if if they this is say they played lights out man coverage. They doubled Judy. No, you know, Russ has nowhere to go. Guess what? Three timeouts. You can run the ball. Like, like I, Russell Wilson's a great runner. Like I've seen him, you know, peel off 16, 18 yard runs his whole career. I feel just as confident with him with the ball in his hands running the ball as I would with him passing. I just think he's that good of a decision maker. And, and I know, listen, he said the right things in the post game. He said, Hey, you, you know, coach Hackett, I'm, you know, I'm with his decisions. And, and I think that's the right answer, right? Like, of course, but you, you know, I watched Troy Aikman after uh, in the post game and he was like shell shocked because he's like, well, I've never seen the ball get taken out of a quarterback's hands with, you know, fourth and five. Like you wouldn't roll out your field goal kicker to try and win something. Rams, did you see? Did you see any of the Manning cast? I'm sure you probably saw the video after Peyton Manning was aghast. Now he he kind of covered it, but he could not believe what he was watching unfold. And he's still affiliated, as we know, with the Broncos. It was yeah. like, what are we doing? Yeah, I, I did. I did. I, I I liked the Manning cast quite a bit, actually. And they had Shannon Sharp on the fourth quarter. He was great, and and he was in disbelief as well. Um, yeah. yeah, I think most of, you know everyone watching. I, I think the only person that was in the coma at the time was Coach Hackett. But I just I really just don't understand why any assistant coach, someone, hey, did you know that Brandon McManus is one of seven, one of seven going into that kick. At 60 plus. So he, he's one of, you know, two guys in the last 22 years that have put a, put one between the uprights at 60 plus yards. <laughs> Just like, yeah. like and you, and, and Rams, you've been involved in, in these things before. You know, we, when, as broadcasters, when you and I work together, we always try to eyeball where the kicker, you know, wow. his outer limits are before the game. And we go, okay, he's, you know, he, he can make from 55 and in with the conditions, whatever, going right to left. The other way, it looks like it's, you know, 52 and in, whatever the deal is. You have a rough idea. Um, well, 
yeah, the outer limits were the 46. That doesn't mean, hey, once we get to the plus 46, we're good to go. That's like desperation mode. That's like, okay, it's fourth and 18. We're probably better off rolling out, you know, McManus to try a 64-yard. Not fourth and five. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's a deep sigh moment, I will tell you. Uh, it, consider this. For the longest time in the NFL, the longest field goal ever was Tom Dempsey's 63-yard field goal. And, and that looked like the longest thing ever. I, you know, I've never seen a ball in the air that long. And, and I know guys have strong legs, and, and it's a little different game now. But uh, I don't know. I would have – I saw a bunch of field goals get blocked this past Sunday. And, you know, you know, at the end of the game, uh, extra point, field goal, hands on. You know, people got a good rush on the kicker. And anytime you're kicking at that distance, you really have to drive the ball if you're the kicker. So the ball has a lower trajectory as well. So you're kind of like, again, why wouldn't I go with Russ Wilson? And, 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 and you said it, right? The perfect scenario the storybook ending, Russ Wilson comes back to Seattle and steals a victory out of the jaws of defeat, right? Because they did not play well, uh, you know, turning the ball over on, on the on the plus one and two yard line. I mean, that, that was just remarkable that uh, the running backs fumbled the way they did and really cost them, you know, tremendous opportunities to win the game. And, and, Oh, by the way, one of the toughest places to play in the NFL. It's just ridiculously loud, and 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 there's wind and other elements blowing around. Like it's never a nice atmosphere if you're the opposing, you know, if you're the visiting team there. It's it's a it's a challenge to play there. But I mean, Russell played well enough to win. And again, it, you know, it would have been I think every Broncos fan's dream to say, "Hey, the guy we got." It, you know, stuck it back to his team, won the game. And I know people say, oh, it's one game in a 16-game schedule. Well, guess what? It's one game in a 16-game schedule, and you might miss the playoffs by one game. So remember that game. Right. Yeah, let me ask you a couple more questions. One is a team-oriented thing. I know, again, as you just said, it's one game uh, in that locker room with a young coach, and I'm sure they respect him and like him. He seems like a very likable guy. Um, but how does that play out when you gather, you play Monday nights, so you, you have a short week, but when, when you regather, you know, it's human nature to talk. It's human nature to have the same conversations you and I are having and every Bronco fan throughout the region, every football fan. Heck, it was the national game. It was Monday night football. How does it play out with, with the other 52 guys in the room? Well, here's how I think it plays out with the Broncos this year. I think they're all pretty nice guys, right? Russ Wilson, wonderful guy. You know, you could, you know, if he was one of your friends, you'd go, hey, Russ is, Russ is my friend. And I think Brandon McManus, great teammate. I think, that you know, the 50-plus guys in the locker room say, hey, listen, Coach Hackett went for the win with one of our best players, and and I'm talking McManus, and, mm -hmm. you know, he missed. Now, everyone can armchair quarterback it, but if Russ is saying, hey, I'm behind the coach 100%, 
that that says a lot because he's a very big spokesperson in that locker room. I think he's very well respected. If anyone had issue with it, it could have been could have been Russell, right? Could have been. Hey, I I'm I back to play my old team. I wanted to put the dagger in him, and I didn't get a chance to. I, I think that could have come out of his mouth. Like, but he's like, you know what? I'm a team guy. I'm gonna. You know what? It is one game. We learned a lot, and uh, you, you know, I I do credit Hackett and Wilson. I mean, listen. They're going to have a lot of success. I will say that. They, they, they can move the ball. I, I think the receivers, you, you know, obviously showed their firepower. I think, they, I think they need a tight end that's really an effective guy in the middle of the field. I, don't, I didn't see that last night. Um, you know, and their defense needs to be a little better, right? There were some, there were some buffs on defense. But, um, you know, I think by and large, when you have a chance to win the game at the end, that's what the NFL is all about. It's just how they went about the last 110 of the game, and I guarantee you next time they'll put the ball in Wilson's hands. Yeah, and you want to know what? Privately, in some room at that facility, Hackett needs to go up to Russell Wilson and bear hug him and whisper in his ear, thank you, thank you, thank you, because there's no way, you know this Tom is a competitor. Anybody who has competed at all, especially in that environment, going back to Seattle, there's no way that Russell Wilson didn't want that football fourth and five, and inside was aghast at the decision. But as you said, he appropriately said, no, no, I have, you know, Coach Hackett, 100% faith in what he did. Um, Inside, he ain't thinking that. I agree. Yeah, I just think the next time, you you know, they get a pass, Drew. They get a pass this time. Game one. Yep, game one. They won't get a pass the next time. More with Drew and ESPN analyst Tom Ramsey right after this. The first is for Ideal Home Loans. Brent Ivinson's team, they're doing outstanding work. They've done outstanding work for the last couple of decades in our area and also down in Arizona. They loan you money and they help you purchase a new house. Maybe it's a second home. Maybe it's consolidating debt. Anything Along those lines, they're the best in the business. That's why they have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. And uh, these times are a little more difficult. The interest rates have gone up. Things are a little cloudier. They can help you navigate this. And I'm sure, like many people, you have a number of questions. Pick up the phone. Give them a call. Anything on your mind when it comes to, uh, as I said, even credit card debt or the purchasing of a new home because you still want to purchase that new home even though interest rates have gone up. The number is 303-867-7000. 303-867-7000. They're going to make sure that you get the guaranteed lowest rate. They're going to lock you in. They're going to handle your business exceptionally well. Sent a lot of people to them. I've used them on a number of occasions myself. They're terrific. 303-867-7000. Now back to Drew and Tom Ramsey. So much of the game uh, at the position you played for so long is now out of the shotgun. And there's some teams that don't take the ball under center at all, especially in college football. But when you're on the one-yard line, as the Broncos were twice, I mean, don't you want, a, a, you know, if you're playing defense and, and you're, a, you know, you're a zero-tech guy, you're, you know, you're yeah. all bunched up in there, the threat of quarterback sneak 
or quarterback leap. Even Tom Brady, I mean, he's been really good at finding a seam to pick up fourth and inches, fourth and a half a yard throughout his career. You have a guy like, you know, Russell Wilson. Why are why are we snapping the ball five yards back when we're trying to get one foot? You know, Drew, during the game last night, I thought when Russ, on the second fumble at the goal line, I thought he came up to the line of scrimmage, and I thought he was just going to get behind the center and tap him and go and sneak it. And instead, he dropped back, to your point, in the in the shotgun. You have to have the quarterback sneak as a play in the playbook. You've got you've got to practice it, but you can practice it against air, uh, right? I mean, you don't have to go eleven on eleven to practice quarterback sneak. But people have been doing it since the age of time, and and you do have to pick up one yard or six inches when you need that six inches or a yard, and and you got to be able to get behind the center and the guards and and plow through it. And the good teams do. And and listen, Brady. I mean, the guy's forty five years old. He's still doing it. So. You know, when they need a yard, they just know. You can line up in shotgun, but just do a quick count, move up, tap the center and go. And, and that is just, that's good football. You know, and again, it, uh, yeah, I don't understand it either. But, and there are programs that, uh, you, you remember Drew Locke. Drew Locke never took a snap under center his whole college career at Missouri. <laughs> he was in the shotgun the entire time. And I'm like, how does that happen? Like seriously? And, and we know. Listen, you can you can still play pass out of that. You you can you can run tight end high out of it. You can run a lot of things by going under center. Still, it's not it's not removing options. But to me, man, you're inside the one. I I want that threat of hey, he's he's going to goose the center and go on on a quick count. Yeah, let me give you – so here, here's an interesting piece of information. It's historical, but I think it's relevant, and I think it's meaningful. Joe Montana was in my era, and and Steve Bono, who was one of my backups at UCLA, he, he played with Joe Montana for a long time, six or eight years it was in San Francisco. And I asked Bono, I said, hey, does Joe, does Joe ever go in the shotgun? He said, never. He, Tom, he's under center. If you remember this, he was never in shotgun. And do you know why? He was afraid that his eyes would miss a safety's step and by watching the ball come into his hands from the center's release. So he wanted to be under center and see all 11 guys on defense the entire time. And I, I thought to myself, I'm like, wow. That's remarkable. He's watching every guy's first move because a lot of times they'll give you a dummy step. A lot of, a, a lot in the NFL is they're trying to disguise coverages. So a guy will take a false step hoping that you see someone lean left and you'll go, Oh, well, Drew's going to be open on the post. Well, you come back to throw the post and guess what? The guy went right and he took away your post. So then you got to get off him immediately. But, Montana never, ever took a shotgun snap. That was remarkable. Yeah, it, it makes sense to me. From a quarterback standpoint, to be able to eyeball the defense the whole time as opposed to, you know, that, that half a second, because you miss yeah. things, right? Half a second's a yeah. lot of time when, when you got to get rid of the football in 2.5, 3 at the, at the longest. So, That's right. Yeah. 
Hey, I want to take you back. Southern California, 500 years ago, because um, you're, older, you're older than me, um, somewhat significantly. Not, not really. But um, I, Kennedy High School, quarterback by Tom Ramsey. Granada Hills High School, um, your arch rival, quarterback by John Elway. Uh, what, what do you remember about, uh, about your senior year matchup? Um, well, our, my senior year matchup, we didn't play against each other. Oh, you did? Okay. He had, he had torn his ACL. Our junior year matchup was remarkable. Uh, we were both named, uh, you know, first team, all Los Angeles City. We were both getting recruited like crazy. And we were literally in the same league at high schools five miles apart, which is kind of freaky, to tell you the truth. Uh, the game was televised, and... Uh, here, here's how the game went, Drew. Uh, they kicked off. Uh, we scored. I, I audibleized and threw uh, a touchdown on the first play of the game. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's nice. how it started. Right. Then we kicked off, and uh, what, what, a dear friend of mine, actually his name's Paul Shepard. He uh, he went to Harvard, and then uh, he's a he's a loan broker out in uh, Orange County. He returns the kickoff like 99 yards for a touchdown. So it's seven seven with like 10 seconds off the clock. (laughs) And and so it went back and forth like that. They they got the better of us that evening. Uh, We we had a few guys suspended. uh, And the reason for their suspension, uh, you know, my my guys, I'd like to say we grew up up on the other side of the track. So our guys were a little tougher, not necessarily smarter. Our guys went down, went over to burn down the school, the, their their rival high school, the, the night before the game. I thought it was a bad idea. I'm like, hey guys, that's not really a good idea to bring gas cans to a you know a football stadium, and you know, and they were like, oh come on, you know, come on, Tom. I'm like, no. And to this day, people still think I was part of that, you know, the, the renegade band, right? I'm like, no, 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 I I didn't go. Uh, I stayed at home that night, but uh, we had we had like eight guys suspended and. Uh, Two starting running backs, you know, receiver. Anyhow, we lost the game, but uh, but you know, had we been at full power, full speed, I think uh, you know, could have been different. But yeah, we uh, John and I for three years, and, and then my tenth grade year. Here's here's something even funnier. My tenth grade year when we played them. Yeah. Uh, we we won that game. I was a tenth grade. John was a JV quarterback. He wasn't even on the varsity. <laughs> Is that right? That's how crazy. That's how crazy that goes. Yeah. Hey, uh, did, were you guys friends in high school? Because you lived fairly close, or, or just knew of each other, that type of thing. We we, um, we you know what's interesting. I was better friends with his receivers. Um, okay. He played he played baseball, as you know. And in the off season, I I didn't. I retired from baseball in high school. We played a lot of uh, uh, passing leagues and. And uh, participated in all kinds of off-season football stuff, and his receivers and I used to work out together all the time, and became very good friends. And uh, just, just kind of coincidentally, it was. But, but I see John a couple times a year. Uh, you, you know, I get to, I get to see him when I do an ESPN game with the Broncos or uh, just in the off-season, and so uh, it's good to catch up. I mean, we, we're still friends, and uh, you know, we we have a couple really good mutual friends as well. So. Uh, it's good to good, good to keep up with him. You know, um, you and I have had some legendary times doing doing some games together, and and none more so than um, I'll I'll set the stage for people. So, 
Um, Rams and I, I think it was back-to-back weekends one year, were at LSU. And I always bring my high school teammate uh, by the name of Chris Shaw, who's become somewhat legendary with, um, he's a little bit crazy. And our whole goal, Rams, is to be on Bourbon Street by what was it, twelve thirty? Because they kick it at seven in uh, in Baton Rouge, and you have the drive, and you have a hundred thousand people leaving at the same time. Uh, th- those were some um, interesting evenings. I think I think we called the last play. We might have been running out the door of the the broadcast booth. And the producer was like, hey, where are you? And we were already gone by the time he said going. And uh, and we did land in uh, – I recall that we got out of uh, uh, Bourbon Street just in time, too. Uh, yeah, when the sun, the sun was coming up the next morning, we had a flight ticket. <laughs> right? That was, that was just one of just several fun weekends with you, my friend. Uh, exactly. Uh, your tennis game good, by the way. Tennis game is good. Tennis game is good. A little more on clay these days, you know. Kind of, kind of spending half the time in Florida. I'm like, a, I'm like a snowbird now, Drew. You're an older guy. You're an older empty nester. Older guy. <laughs> older yeah. guy. Yeah. Well, we're gonna get out and play a little tennis. I know we've talked about that, but um, my uh, baseball season, I think, is coming to a conclusion here in the coming days. So. Uh, we'll have to get out and uh, and knock it around a little bit. Absolutely. Hey Rams, listen. Yeah, always pleasure. Uh, who, you, you don't have a game this week. You have one the following week. No game this week. I have uh, have FC and uh, Arizona State come up on a league game in a couple weeks. And uh, and you know what? It's a grab bag, so I might have something next week. I just don't know about it yet. All right. And USC, they let you on campus there. Somehow they still allow me to do it. That's amazing. Interesting. I, I think I'm going to think I, I'm going to call our old friend Mike Bone and see if uh, see if they can block you from. Mike Bone knows that I will. The first thing out of my mouth will be Southern Cal. Yeah, they hate to be called Southern Cal, but I grew up with them as Southern Cal. So it's kind yeah. of listen. Lou Holtz got away with it for 25 years on ESPN. I, I've used it for 12, and I'm going to keep using it. So yeah, there's certain schools, but you know, like it, like SC does not want to be Southern Cal. TCU wants to be TCU. Don't call them Texas Christian University. Yeah. Yeah. So we get reprimanded when we have those schools and and we use the wrong, uh, we don't use the acronym. Tom, you be well, man. I appreciate the time on short notice, brother, and uh, thanks for breaking it down. Enjoy Chicago, my friend. Tom Ramsey, good man, good friend. We had a lot of fun together uh, doing college football and uh, some NFL stuff uh, as well. And um, interesting perspective, again, hearing from a quarterback as to uh, what he feels should have taken place late in that game. Now, because of the beauty of being able to edit, and Marky does a great job at that, I'm actually now talking to you on Wednesday morning. Rockies played last night. Nathaniel Hackett has had his 24-hour later press conference, if you will, with the media. And what was interesting, and I want to comment on this, what was interesting is that Nathaniel Hackett came out and he had a qualified retraction or thought on the fourth down and five field goal attempt as opposed to having Russell Wilson go for it on fourth and five with the offense still on the field. 
he said that if he could do it all over again, he would go for it on fourth and five. But then he added, and this is why it's qualified, that he's basing that on the fact that the field goal was missed. Here's the deal, and this is pretty obvious. As a new coach, especially a first-year coach, not just a new coach in a new town, you're trying to put a stamp on how you will govern, how you will operate. The bottom line for Nathaniel Hackett, and really for most NFL coaches, once you have a quarterback, a guy, you are inextricably bound to that quarterback. The Broncos finally have that guy. They haven't had that guy, as we all know, since Peyton Manning retired. And prior to that, with some mild exceptions, they didn't have that guy since John Elway retired. You know, Greasy had some moments or other guys who had moments. But it was Elway, it was Manning, and now finally you have an elite guy in Russell Wilson. So you're inextricably bound. And guess what? And I'm sure because Hackett's a bright guy that he understands he is far more replaceable in the equation than Russell Wilson. So you ride, yes, you ride with Russell Wilson. I think, honestly, he will learn from this. He probably already has. I'm sure he's been counseled. I'm sure he's reflected and realizes that truly the next time there is a similar situation, you go with the quarterback. You go with the franchise. You go with Russell Wilson. It just was mind-boggling that that wasn't apparent the first time this opportunity arose. Again, I believe he will learn from it, and I believe that the Broncos will still have a successful season. I don't see them winning a Super Bowl this year. I haven't gotten into the prediction mode uh, yet, but I think they're going to be a. Um, I, I think they're going to be a good football team. I, I think they will find a way in a brutal division to make the playoffs. I do. All right, because uh, this is uh, Wednesday morning, the Ro- uh, the Rockies in Chicago all week. It's great, man. I, uh, I love Chicago. Great city, world-class city. Love running out on Lake Michigan. Um, great food, great town, great vibe. You know I like big cities. I'm a New Yorker. I, lo- I love big cities. Um, and for the Rockies, they hadn't played on the south side of Chicago but one time. That was back in 2008. And it, it was good to be back in that ballpark. Been so long, I barely remember my way around trying to get to the, uh, you know, broadcast booth and, and all of that. But um, the White Sox, who the Rockies played a couple of months ago, they're an interesting team. They they've kind of underachieved. They still have a chance to win the kind of poor American League Central. They're in a battle with Cleveland. They're still trying to hold off Minnesota. They have a lot of talent. I know they've dealt with a lot of injuries. They're, they're dealing with one right now with their terrific shortstop and Tim Anderson. Uh, but you know, you got you got Dylan Cease, you got Lance Lynn uh, on the mound, uh, you got Abreu, you have Eloy Jimenez. This is a team that you would think would be a lot better, and they won the division last year fairly easily. 
And I remarked to Josh Harrison, guy who's been around a long time, former pirate, a good guy. Um, always enjoyed visiting with Josh Harrison. And we were uh, BSing around the batting cage, and the, he, he mentioned that they still had to go out west again and play the Padres in another uh, interleague matchup. And I said, yeah, the Padres are tough to figure, man. You love everybody on that roster. They have a tremendous roster. And yet they, they, they win, but they just don't win at the level that their roster suggests they should. And he and he looked at me and he said, kind of like us, huh? And I thought about it, and yeah, he's right. I mean, the White Sox have a ton of talent, and yet, uh, as we speak today, they're just a few games above uh, 500. So later on... Uh, this afternoon, we'll see if the Rockies can uh, can knock off the White Sox before they get a day off tomorrow and get ready for the Cubs on the weekend. A reminder to uh, check out uh, the DNVR Rockies podcast and all their written material with my man Patrick Lyons. He does, as I tell you, every week uh, a marvelous job, and I jump on with him uh, once a week as well. So that's all the DNVR uh, product. We'll do it again next week, and next week we'll be... Um, back home final home stand of the year for the rockies uh next week so we uh, again look forward to that you guys stay well stay safe and don't kick the 64 yard field goal go for it <laughs>